such a pleasure to introduce to you this man who really needs no introduction. He's probably served in every capacity in our church at some time or another. Um, he's an elder of our church as well, and the Lord has called David into ministry. Uh, he's going to be ordained on the last Sunday night of this month, and so I'm so excited uh, for us to receive the Word of God this morning from David Mathis. It's difficult to come up here in front of everybody, so uh, let's just praise the Lord for what he's doing in David's talk. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> this morning we are continuing our journey through the story, covering the major stories of the Bible from beginning to end. We've come a long ways. Thank you, Jonathan, for carrying us through the Bible that way. Every week as we've gone through the story, we've encountered in one way or another the love of God. Whether it's at the beginning of creation, the glory of God and what he called good, or even in the midst of the fall, we saw God beginning his plan of redemption. Or if it's in God choosing a man, Abraham, to make a nation, and through that nation to bless all of the nations of the world. We saw the love of God as he chose David, a man after his own heart. And David's son, King Solomon, as he gave Solomon wisdom. Even more recently, we saw the love of God as John the Baptist enters the scene and is proclaiming the way for the Messiah who would come after him. And just last week, we are talking about the lady who's reaching out in faith to touch Jesus for healing. We've encountered the love of God Every week, my question for us this morning, do you know the love of God? Is the love of God something you recognize in your own life? I can tell you, I have come to know the love of God. I've seen the love of God at work in my marriage for the 20 years that we've been married. I say, if I look at my wife, that'll get me. I can't look at my wife. <laughs> For the 20 years that we've been married, I've seen God do wonderful things in our marriage, but I can tell you, I've also struggled with the love of God in my marriage. I've resisted the love of God. Same in my work, in ministry, in parenting my kids. I've seen the love of God at work. I've also struggled with the love of God. I've resisted the love of God at work in my life. Why would I do that? Five years ago, God was doing a pretty major work in our life uh, to make some big changes. And there was a lot to that, but, but the basic direction God had given us was that we needed to get our house in order to be ready for whatever it was he had next in our life. And long story short, we ended up packing all of our things in California into U-boxes, into storage, and with a little trailer behind our minivan, we hit the road for Texas. We'd never been to Texas before, unless you count driving through the panhandle as visiting Texas. But we were, we were following God's direction. We landed, uh, our first stop was Pedernales. We didn't have a specific destination yet. We camped for the good part of that summer in state campgrounds throughout Hill Country, mostly campgrounds with water. It's hot in Texas in the summer. And... In that time, seeking the Lord's direction, I wanted nothing more than the love of God to be fully 
realized in every part of my life, and yet still I struggled with the love of God. I resisted the love of God in my life. Why would I do that? Well, this morning we're going to look at some key passages on the love of God, and as we do that, I want to draw out three reasons we can expect to resist the love of God in our life. So if you're following along in the notes, we've got three different lists. We've got two lists of three. We're going to be jumping back and forth between those as we dig in. So let's start in John 3.16. Key passage of the church on the love of God for good reason. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. What I'd like to do here is starting down here in verse 18 where we ended, I'd like to work backwards up to verse 16 and see if we can understand better the weight of that phrase, for God so loved the world. So here in verse 18, those who do not believe in the Son of God, they're condemned already. What does that mean that they're condemned already? That's not an easy topic to talk about, condemnation. But I found that the better I understand what that means, the better I've been able to understand what is the love of God towards me. So let's dig into it. That takes us all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, that would have been the second or third week of our journey. Starting in verse 1, what I'd like to look at here is specifically, what did Satan say? What was it that we rejected God's truth, what God had for us that was good, that we would turn from that and walk towards a lie What was the substance of our fall? So let's look at the words of Satan that he put before us. First thing he said was, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, already he's twisting God's word. God didn't say any tree. He said the one tree. But more importantly, he's casting doubt on God's word. He's casting doubt on what is good, doubting God setting the way for us to turn from God. And down in verse 4, he says, you will not surely die. Now he's just contradicting God. And God said in the moment that you eat it, you'll surely die. And now he's saying, no, you won't surely die. And here's the most important part of this. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. To be like God, to put ourselves before God. Church, we have committed the highest form of treason. Treason against God Almighty. We put ourselves before God. We've put other things before God. We've twisted his truth and we've rejected what he has called good. We've embraced what he's called evil. So God didn't send his son to condemn the world. The world is condemned already. 
God didn't send Jesus to set the verdict on mankind. The verdict is already set. We're guilty. God didn't send Jesus to decide what the sentence is for those who are guilty, treason against God Almighty. The sentence is death. Not just physical death, it's a death. The Spirit, the Bible describes eternal fire, outer darkness, place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal punishment, unending torment. There's more. I think we get the picture. It's very bad. We can't begin to understand the weight of our sin because it's in a realm that we, we just can't get our heads around. Our sin against God is more than we can understand. But we can get some sense of it by looking at the severity of the just punishment for our sin. It gives us a sense of the weight of our sin. So it's into a world that is sinned against God, that God sends his son. Why is he sending his son? It's not to condemn the world. Now let's look in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There's the love of God. It's the love of God that saves sinners into a world that hated God, into a world that was condemned into darkness. He sends his son to save us. John chapter 1 uh, shows us the glory of God sending his son, the glory of the love of God sending his son to save sinners. Let's look in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. What's that talking about? That's glory talk. That's John saying, Look, look who's coming. Look who's being sent to save the world. He was in the beginning with God. He's talking about the Word. The Word is a person. It says he was with God. That's two persons. It says he was God. That's one person. Who are we talking about? This is two persons of the Trinity. This is God himself, the one who was there before the world was created, who's being sent to put on human flesh to become a man to save the world that's who's coming. Verse 3, we continue. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And again, in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. God, the one through whom the world was created, is standing here in human flesh, and the world does not know who he is. He's here to save the world. How is he going to do that? You see, when Jesus stood before the crowds in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, he was standing before the enemies of God, before a world of the enemies of God, preparing for what would be the greatest display of love that the world had ever known. See, God having put on human flesh, 
would experience every temptation that we experience, but without sin. And without guilt, would willingly lay his life down at the cross to take the penalty for our guilt, for our sin. See, God didn't just send his son. In verse 16, it says God gave his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, would no longer be condemned. The just punishment for our sin would be paid on his own son the enemies of God could become friends of God. Why would I resist a love like that? Here's the first reason that we resist the love of God. Is that our sin is exposed in the light of his presence. If we look, continuing past verse 18 into verse 19. So the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. That's the problem. The works that I've done in the light of God's presence are exposed. That's not comfortable. The darkness hates the light. Listen, if we put our trust in Christ, Our works have been covered by the blood of Christ at the cross. In a sense, our works have been exposed. They've been exposed at the foot of the cross and are covered in the righteousness of Christ by his sacrifice. It's not something we need to fear. So if we put our faith in Christ, if we believe in him, then we move into verse 21. It says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. There's the difference. Our works now are carried out in God. They're carried out in Christ. And what we do is true because he is true. But why do we still struggle with the light of his presence? His blood has covered my sin. I'm righteous before God. Why still the struggle? I still sin. Yes, he's made me right before God, but I still sin. Let's look. Over in John chapter 8. See, God's beginning a work in us now. We believe in Christ. Yes, there's still sin there. Yes, it's uncomfortable for that sin to be exposed, but there's reason for it. It's his love still working in us to save us. Jesus said, if you, believe, if you abide in my word, starting verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again in 34, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. 
The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. The love of God is working freedom in our life. It's a process. Some time ago, I got home and came across this pile of Nerf darts in our living room that all had been neatly cut in half. So that's interesting. And I ventured further into the house and found our littlest one. And as she saw me, she kind of hit something real quick and said, Audrey, can you come with me to the living room? And as she got up, I could see little bits of paper on the floor and kind of the edge of the scissors had been tucked away. We sat down in the living room and I said, Audrey, did you cut your brother's Nerf darts? He said, what Nerf darts, Daddy? This giant pile right here in front of us. Did you cut your brother's Nerf darts? He said, uh, I didn't cut the Nerf darts. I said, Audrey, it looks like you've been playing with the scissors. I saw the scissors where you were. I saw those bits of paper that were cut up. I see now, actually, that there looks like your bangs have been freshly trimmed across the front. (laughs) Did you cut your brother's Nerf darts? She said, no, the cat did it. Uh, Our cat's talented, not that talented. You know how when God uses a situation with your kids to show you some truth about something he's been doing in your own life? See, at that time, I had already come through a time where I was holding on to a lie that I needed to confess. God had walked me through that. And as I'm talking to my daughter, I can hear my heavenly father's voice saying, David, speak the truth. Don't hold on to a lie. As long as you hold on to that lie, you're, a, you're in bondage to it. I want you to have freedom. Boy, that changes your parenting. <laughs> Audrey, you need to speak the truth. More important than whether or not you cut your brother's nerf darts, which there's going to be consequences either way. You need to speak the truth. Finally, she did <laughs> say very quietly, I did it. I just hugged her. <laughs> See how much better it is. No longer holding on to a lie. That's the love of God. How he works in us to make us free from the lies that we're holding on to from the sin in our life. It's uncomfortable, but it's the love of God that saves us from our sin. That leads us into the next point about the love of God. It's the love of God that gives life to those who believe. So what happens in the moment that we believe? The Holy Spirit enters our life. Something new has started. He places his seal on our life. Last week, we had baptisms at family camp. I love baptisms at family camp. You have the whole church lined up there along the bank, just celebrating what God's doing on the other side of the river in the life of our brothers and sisters. What is it that we're celebrating in baptism? What's the symbolism? We're buried with Christ and raised to walk in new life. What is that new life? Let's look in John chapter 8 and verse 12. 
Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's life following Jesus. That's what it's about now. Let's look in chapter 10. Starting in verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. That's us now. We put our trust in Christ. And I know them. When Jesus says, I know you, it's a deep and personal love. And they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That picture of being held in the hand of God the Son, being held in the hands of God the Father, knowing that the Spirit of God is in our life and has sealed us. The incredible security, the love of God. There's nothing that's going to separate us from the love of God. It's in that security that then we are following Jesus and have new life. Why would I resist a love like that? Well, because I'm afraid. I'm afraid to go where Jesus is leading me. God, you've you've dealt with the sin in my heart. Now you want me to confess that to my wife. What's that going to do to my marriage? God, you're leading me in a direction. I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. I don't know how we're going to get by. Are you sure we should go that way? God, what you're leading me towards is too big. It's too big for me. I can't do it. What does he say? My grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, I am strong. What do we fear? So five years ago, when we finally landed in Kyle, God led us here. Praise the Lord. Um, we were full speed into getting our house in order. That was our focus. We had left every distraction we had nothing on our plate except to look at what God had for us to do. Literally, we had very little on our plate because all of our stuff was still in California. We had six plates, six bowls. So Elizabeth and I, at the end of every week, we would, uh, after the kids had gone to bed, we'd get together and we'd evaluate the week. How did it go? We'd have a list of things, and the list grew as we thought of more things to add to it. Just how did it go? How did, how did we do with, our, with the way we handle finances, with the way that we are exercising, with our health, with what we're eating? Uh, and then what can we do better next week? What can we change? We looked at how we were pouring into our kids spiritually, and out of that came devotions, family devotions. We were looking at our marriage. How can we make our marriage better? So I got these questions from a friend of mine, Uh, Great questions to ask each other before you went to bed at night, every night. And things like, you know, have I offended you today? Being able to clear the air. What can I do for you tomorrow? Thanking your spouse for something that they did for you that day. And at the end of it, we would pray for each other. That's what it said. Pray for each other. 
The first night that we did it, it had been years since we had sat down and prayed out loud together. And we just held each other and cried. God, why had it been so long? I knew why it had been so long. There's something I knew we should do, something I knew I wanted to do, but for me to make it happen was to admit that I somehow had failed, that I was doing something wrong as the husband of my family, and that stupid fear kept us for so long from doing something that was life in our marriage, that is now life in our marriage. What are the fears that are keeping us from following God? What are the fears that are keeping us from the life that God wants to work in us? God's love is so great. 1 John 4.18 says, Perfect love casts out fear. It also says that the reason we fear is because love hasn't been perfected in us. That's the process. That's the love of God giving us life. He's working his love into us, overcoming fear, perfecting us in his love. All right, the third reason. Our third, uh, third point about the love of God. It is the love of God that works through us to love one another. Let's look in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, starting in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. What does that mean, to abide in his love? Well, that's in the next verse. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So what's the commandment? Down to verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So as the Father has loved the Son, the Son has loved us. And as the Son has loved us, now we are to love those that are around us. We have entered into the love relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in us in that relationship. The love of God is in us, and now we are a conduit of God's love to those around us. How incredible is the plan of God in our life. Why would we resist a love like that? Final reason that I'm holding on to my old identity. I'm holding on to who I was before Christ entered my life. That's not who I am anymore. There is a new thing that God has started. Who are you? Gallup poll says that 55% of us identify ourselves with our job. Is your job who you are? What are the things we identify ourselves with? My strengths? My accomplishments? This is what I've done. That number goes up higher when you have college graduates. Now we really identify ourselves with what we do. Maybe you identify yourselves with your family. You say, I come from a family of what? Success? Failure? Is that who you are? 
You identify yourself with your failures, with your weaknesses. God, you can't use me that way. God, I can't love a person like that. What if people saw me with a person like that? Who am I identifying with? Am I identifying with Christ in that? No. Identifying with something else that has been put to death on the cross. My identity is in Christ. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's who I am. One of the worst lies I think Satan wants us to believe is that our identity is still in our sin. God, you can't use a person like me. God, I can't love the world in the way that you want me to love the world. Have you seen the things that I've done? Have you seen, you know, God, who I am? And we're identifying ourselves with our sin. He said, no, that's paid for. That's crucified on the cross. There's a new life that has begun. Your identity is in me. Let's walk in that new identity. And let the love of God work through us, his power work through us to love those around us. I got one final verse for us to look at. John chapter 20. End of John chapter 20. John is giving us the reason he wrote this book. Verse 31. He says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Do you believe? Do you believe that it's the love of God that saves sinners, that God gave his Son on the cross to pay for our sin to save us? Do you believe it? Do you believe that it's the love of God that gives us life, that's working in us to expose sin, to give us life in his truth that overcomes fear? Do you believe that it's the love of God that now works through us to a purpose so much greater than us, to love others? I pray that you do. I pray that by believing that, you would have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray you would give us belief. You said that faith like a mustard seed can move mountains. God, I pray you give us faith to move the mountains in our own heart. We love you, Jesus. We want that life following you boldly, overcoming fear. We love you and we praise you, Jesus. Amen.